One of the most uh, obvious facts in the world is, is one that we don't tend to live by. It's something that we, we tend to ignore. And it is this. Things that we hold dear at certain times in our life later, we will think are silly. It's the most obvious fact in the world, and yet we, we tend to just ignore it and go our way. In 2004, Anthony Flew came out and shocked the world of philosophy by, by this statement, God exists. He came out and said that God is really there. And that was a shock because if you, if you know anything about contemporary philosophy, you'll, you'll know that name, Anthony Flew. He was the, the standard bearer for atheism for many decades before that. He wrote some 30 books with titles like The Presumption of Atheism. And he, he was a signatory of the, of the Humanist Manifesto, things like that. And it was, it was just this, he would argue again and again that even the idea of God is self-contradictory. And that is why, you know, he probably wrote, yeah, he probably wrote, there's a philosophical tract that he wrote called um, Theology and Falsification. It's probably the most widely circulated tract in philosophy over the last half century. So it was a big shock when he came out and said in 2004, you know, God is there. God exists. This was a big shock to the, to the philosophical world. They didn't know what to do. You know, it's, it's, it's not often that philosophers are at a loss for words. They, are, they, they often have something to say. But here, they didn't know what to say. They were apoplectic. It, it was, it was, they were at a loss. And finally, the New York Times published an article and said, you know, Anthony Flew, he's probably gone senile you know he's getting older in years you know he's he's aged so he's probably senile which is (laughs) which is besides being insulting it was ridiculous because there were interviews of Anthony Fuller at the time and you know you could tell he was sharper than than any of us would ever be but this was the New York Times you know doing its part for atheism and what else could they say but you know it highlights this fact, you know, that certain things in the world will look very different to us as we get older in ways that we can't predict. It's the most obvious fact in the world, and it requires addressing. Well, the Bible addresses this human condition with a very definite word, and we find it in the letter to the Colossians. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3. And this is the English Standard Version. We're just going to read one verse. We're going to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Make yourself comfortable. You know, we've had a number of recent births here at Ironworks Church. We're so happy about them. Those of you who have just recently had children, there are some of you who are 
who are announcing that you're going to be, give birth, we're so happy for you as well. Um, we are just very thrilled for you that you're entering into this new phase of life. Some of you as new parents, we're very excited for you. We want you to be blessed. And as part of that, you know, as Pastor Darren is leading us through the book of Colossians, I thought it would be good to take a couple sermons and address the parent and child relationship. Because it is there in the, in the household tables, as they're called, of the Apostle Paul. And so we thought, I thought it would be good to take two sermons, one for children and one for parents, my next two sermons here and, and two weeks from now, to talk about this parent-child relationship for us, since children are all around us and they're coming, uh, they're coming out of us. So today, it's the one for children. And I think the first thing to notice about what Paul says here is that it's so very definite. You notice that it's, he is, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. He's very uh, assured about it. Why is he so firm? How can Paul, writing to people he doesn't know, you know, we have good evidence that Paul did not plant the church at Colossae. So he's writing to people that he's, some people he's probably never met, and yet he's very definite about, look, this is what you need to do in your life. If your children obey your parents, how can he be so firm? The answer, of course, is that it's not really Paul's idea. He's actually drawing from the great commandment that Moses gave some 1,500 years before. And Moses gave, you remember, Moses came down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, with his tablets. And on these tablets, there were 10 words. There were 10 commandments. And this was the foundation of the life of the people of God. Moses was saying, look, whatever you do, get these right. If you want to live a life pleasing to God, or if, even if you, want to, if you just want to live a good life, a life that goes well, make sure you do these things. And remember, there were 10 of them. And this was actually the fifth one, the fifth one of this, this foundational moral law of this ethical code to live by was simply this, honor thy father and thy mother. Remember that one, right? Honor thy father and thy mother. That is why Paul can be so confident. That's why he's so firm. Because he's drawing from the Mosaic law, this, this foundational um, point. And, you know, there's, there's several implications here for us. The first is that you notice that Paul says, parents, children, obey your parents. And he, again, is drawing from Moses, who gives us a certain form of the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, which was rather extraordinary for the times. You know, and Paul and Moses here are doing something the Bible repeatedly does. It's, it's the Bible's activism in elevating women and their status in the household in contradistinction to the cultures around them at the time. Because this was, this was a startling thing to say, uh, both for Paul and for Moses. For Paul to include the mother, because that's why he says parents there, is startling because of the potestas patris, the, the kind of Roman way of looking at the father as the ultimate authority of the household. And he had, he had the authority. 
Um, and in Moses' time, to say mother, you know, that she was elevated in the stat hall, she was someone to get respect in the household as well, was, again, against the cultures of the time, you know? And so I was, I was just actually re recently reading the Hammurabi Code, where it says, you know, if you strike your father, you lose your hand. It doesn't say anything about the mother, you know? So this is the Bible's activism as it, as it is elevating women in the household, that the honor, the obedience needs to be to the father and the mother. This also teaches us, by the way, that this is something that our children need, both a father and a mother. This is one of the reasons, one of them, why we here at Ironworks Church cannot endorse monogendered marriages because a child needs both a father and a mother to honor for things to go well. It's one of the reasons why. So these are important things, and this is a fundamental, a fundamental way in which we are to live our lives. And this was, this was really, you know, brought home to me when I was uh, a teenager, and I had become a Christian, and I, and I began to realize God made it very clear to me that this was something that, was, that was, he was very serious about. That this wasn't just a peripheral command that uh, you know, he wanted us to do, but this was something that he took very seriously. It's an important part of how we are going to live our lives if we're going to live our lives well. This was something that was um, widely understood and until very recently loudly trumpeted in the field of developmental psychology that a child needed both a father and a mother to honor. Of course, recently it's become unfashionable to say that, so a large body of research has just been ejected out the window. But it hasn't changed in the Bible. The Bible says this is a, this is a fundamental. And I, I began to realize that God took this very seriously, honoring the father and the mother, um, even when, you know, I might be being asked to do something that uh, I, 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 didn't, I couldn't agree with. Because I, it turns out not in my household, my father was not a Christian. I, he wasn't a believer. And yet God, you might say, well, then this, this commandment doesn't apply. But I, I found that God really wanted this commandment still to apply. So where was one time when uh, my family got a boat? And we enjoyed having a boat for a while until we found out how much work it was. You know, this is, if you've ever have a boat, you know what I'm talking about. There's just so much work involved. We had an 18-foot small boat, but um, enjoyed it. And then, you know, my sisters got older. And we realized this is so much work. It takes so much money. So my dad said, we need to sell this boat. And he put me in charge of getting the boat ready to be sold. So I went about doing this and cleaning it and scraping it. It was so much work. And I got to this point where there was, there was this anchor chain. And I got to the anchor chain, and I realized the anchor chain was, was all rusted out. It, was, it uh, was not in good shape. And I showed it to my dad, and he said, well, just spray paint it so it looks good, and then you know we'll sell the boat, and we'll be done with it. And, you know, I'd recently become a Christian. I was like, wait a second. We're not really looking out for the, for the buyer's interest here in, in what we're doing. I didn't feel like this showed integrity. 
But my dad was very adamant about it. He was like, you know, move on, come on, we ought to get it going. So I was in a dilemma. And I was learning, I was trying to learn what this meant to honor my father and my mother. And so I, I didn't know what to do. So I prayed about it. And my, the solution I came up with, I was a teenager at the time. I, didn't, I wasn't very flush. I didn't have a lot of money. But I, went, I drove a long way to this boat store. And I bought a new anchor chain with my own money, my own money, brought it back, put it on. Uh, my dad never noticed. We sold the boat. The thing was done. You know, and I, you know, that might seem like a small thing, but for me, it was a very big step in coming to realize that God wanted a way for me to honor my father and my mother in these things, in in the ways that I could. So it was kind of key, and I did it because of the promise that I knew was attached to this commandment. You know, this is the fifth commandment, the fifth one of the great words, and the first commandment with a promise. The promise is, that Moses said, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. And I thought, when I read that, I thought, you know, this meant I was going to get a lot done. If I honored my father and my mother, you know, it's like my days would be long, like they would be longer. I would be able to fit more into the days. I would get a lot more done. Of course, if you read it in context... You know, Moses almost certainly didn't mean that. He meant that he was telling the children of Israel, you'll, you'll live a long time in the promised land without being exiled. Like God will not have to throw you out of the promised land if you honor your father and your mother. So that's what Moses was meaning. But, you know, I think both are true. Both actually are very true. Because if you make this a foundational work of your life, if you seek to fulfill this word, this commandment, it's just better. <laughs> your life just goes better. It's just a better way to live your life. Much, m many good things happen. So I think both of them are true. So I want to look at it with you in a little more depth this morning. Why to do this and how to do it in our lives. And, you know, it applies to us in a, in a big way because even if we're not children in a household, we still spend most of our lives as children of parents. Until our parents die, we're still children of some parents. And there's still application for us here. So what I want to do is take this and, and kind of divide us up into demographics. Okay? Beginning with children. Okay, So if you're a child here this morning, if you're a child in someone's household, the, the word is pretty clear. Okay, Obey your parents. Obey your parents that your days will be long. It's interesting, Paul is speaking this to children. You notice that? He addresses children. It's kind of interesting to think. We don't think of Paul writing letters uh, with children as an audience. But we have, uh, we have good indications that these letters were actually read aloud in a church. So these, these would be brought out and the whole church would gather and, and the, the letter would be read. So that's what's going on here. And Paul here is addressing children. It's interesting to think of him as uh, recipients of his epistles. So if you're a child, you need to obey your parents. But this also has that application to us as parents. If you have children in your household, you need to help them to obey you. you know, this might be a shock for those of you who are just becoming parents, but this doesn't happen automatically. 
It's not something that just, uh, they, you might have a mild-mannered kid, but <clears throat> this is something you have to teach them. You need to make sure that they obey you by consistent discipline. Okay? And don't be shy about this. Okay, I was, I was just recently listening to a podcast of some expert, and she was talking about how to raise children. She was talking about the need uh, to be sensitive in raising children. It was very interesting. And one of the things that she said was, children are really in touch with their divinity. Children are really connected to their own divinity. Uh, before we, you know, shame them out of it as they get older. But we should pay attention to kids because they really are in touch with their own community. I thought, boy, you know, actually, I've found with children, they have no problem acting like they're, you know, they have no problem with that. But our job is actually to help them by showing them that there are boundaries to the universe. And if they come up against those boundaries... It hurts. <laughs> that's what our job is. Now, that's not all there is to the parent-child relationship. And we'll be talking more about that next time. But it's very important for you to help your children to heed this word by, ma by making sure that they obey you. Don't be shy about it. That's for children. Let's move to a different demographic, to teenagers. Okay? So teens who are here today, what's the word for you? Here's the word for you if you're a teen. How does this word apply to you? It's this. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> okay, well that was effective. You don't know what you don't know. That's the word. You know, teenagers are wonderful people. I was recently talking to a teen, and <clears throat> this teen was having a disagreement with her mother about when was the appropriate time to date. Okay? And they saw it differently, very differently. So I said to her, how old are you? I said, I want you to do something with me. I want you to just think back two years ago. Think about what you were thinking about, what you were into, what you held dear just two years ago, just two years ago. And she got this look on her face. It was very distasteful. I said, are you kind of embarrassed about that? And she, and she said, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I said, are there things that, you know, when you think back to just two years ago, are there some things that you thought that, are kind of silly now to you? She's like, yeah, you know. And I said, can you imagine two years from now, just two years from now, looking back, could you, could you imagine, I know you're very mature now, and I know you're, you're very much older and mature, but could you imagine just two years from now looking back and seeing some things that you're thinking now that might be silly to you then? You know, and she was thoughtful about it. It's like, yeah, you know, that could be. I said, now think about how old your mom is. Like, she's really old, right? <laughs> I said, can you imagine with all of those years that she might have some perspective that you are lacking right now? 
And she was, you know, it was a good kid. She was thinking about it. She was thoughtful about it. You know, the best teenagers in the whole world, the best teenagers in the whole world are those who know that they're teenagers. Because it's tricky. It's tricky because, you know, teenagers are kind of like adults. And in some ways, they're sort of adult-like. You start to think, "Mm, maybe they're adults. You start to think, "Mm, maybe I'm an adult. But actually, the best teenagers are those who understand they're actually still teenagers. And I'm, I'm always saying this to you because I look back on my teen years and my most horrendous mistakes, my most tragic errors that I look back on, they were all caused, all of them, by pretending like I was an adult when I wasn't an adult, by thinking that I was an adult when I wasn't yet an adult. Those are the things I most regret, my most disastrous mistakes. They all come from that same error, thinking that I was an adult when I was not yet an adult. So that's the word for you today, as, as in, if you're a teenager, don't know what you don't know. But let's get to the next demographic. Let's say now we step into adulthood. And you know, Paul is writing this to children in a household. That's why he uses the word obey. But when we become adults, there comes a time we no longer are called to obey our parents. As adults, we are no longer obeying our parents, but we are always still to honor our parents. We step into the broader commandment that Moses gives us. You know, obedience is just one of the tools in the toolbox of honoring, right? And so as we become adults, we're no longer called to obey our parents. We can't be obeying our parents. But we are always called to honor our parents. And what is it to honor someone? It's to make them weighty. If you're going to honor someone, it's to give them weight, to give, give their words weight, to give their person weight. And Jesus Christ makes it very clear in his teaching that that is something that we do as an adults for our parents as well, is we continue to give them weight in our lives. We continue to give their words weight in our lives. And it doesn't wear out. So, you know, what I was saying to that teenager, it's the same for us. The same is true for us. Just think back, if you're an adult, to what you were into and what you believed just 10 years ago. Okay, so if you're 20, think back to when you're 10. If you're 30, think back to when you're 20. You know, after 40, we tend to calcify, so I'd say go back 20 years. Okay, so if you're 50, think back to when you were 30. If you're 60 or 70, think back to when uh, you were 40. Excuse me, 40. Can you, ima- can you imagine what you were into then? Can you, fit- you know, it's hard to fit our minds back into that time period, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost impossible to get our minds back in, and fit ourselves into that. That should tell us something. But, you know, journals can help. My daughter had this project where she kind of buried things in a box for a while, then took them out later, including a journal. And, you know, she took out this journal. She was reading it, and she said, you know, who is this person, right? You know what I'm talking about, Right? It's impossible for us to have the perspective of age. All you have to do, as I said, it's the most obvious thing, most obvious fact in the world. We're all Anthony Flew, all of us. We're all that philosopher. It's impossible for us to have the perspective of age. 
unless we honor our parents, unless we're making their words weighty. That's what, that, this is the directive that God has given us to address that human condition of change in us. And it never wears out. You know, when I was in college, I was, my dad was pretty liberal in kind of letting me choose the courses I was going to take in college. And I had a big choice in, in my school. There was a big potpourri of different subjects. You could just learn a lot of different things. Very interesting. And so I was choosing the things I wanted to, to learn. But my father started to say, when I got to be an upperclassman, he said, you have to take at least one class in this one subject. And I was like, Dad, you know, yeah, my dad wasn't hip. Um, he didn't know. He didn't understand. But he kept saying, you got to take this one class. you got to take at least one class. And I, I, you know, I struggled with it. I didn't pay attention. But I was trying to... I was trying to learn this commandment. I was trying to fulfill this commandment. So eventually, my last semester in school, I took this one class in this relatively new subject of, uh, that you know, was, was up and coming. My dad wanted me to take it. And so I finally took it, this one class. Because I took that one class, I was able to provide for my family for the first 10 years of our marriage in this, in this new subject called computer science. Because I took that one class, that was actually what made it possible for me to provide for my family first 10 years of my life. My days were made long in the land. Right? So this doesn't wear out. Wherever you are, as a teenager, as a child, as an adult, find a way, find a way to give your parents weight. Right? So lastly here, I want to get to the last phrase. The last phrase uh, in, the com- in the command that Paul gives us. For this pleases the Lord. You see that? For this pleases the Lord. Why? Why is this so pleasing to the Lord? Why did he so emphasize this to me as, as a fundamental on how to live? Well, you know, in the, what we could call the sister letter to the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians, and I call it the sister letter because there are many similarities between these two letters. Scholars often study them together as coming from the same time, have similar themes in them sometimes. In the sister letter, Ephesians 3, Paul makes this statement. He says, the Father, in a very Trinitarian passage, the Father is the Father of the Trinity, And he talks about the different members of the Trinity and how they're distinguished, actually. And this is what he says about the Father. The Father is is the one from whom, of whom, all families on the earth are named. The one of whom all families on the earth are named. What he's saying is that the Father of the Trinity of God in the Trinitarian family gives the template for all parents, all earthly parents on earth. That is, there's something about the relationships between those in the Trinity that are mirrored, that somehow are to be imitated in our earthly relationships of father and parent, parenting and children. Okay? What is it? It's what we could call the father's inaskability. Isn't that a great word? 
You want to use that at a cocktail party. Okay, just drop that one. You know, it's the father's inaskability. Take a sip. Very effective. It just means the father's unbegotten. It means that unlike other persons of the Trinity, the father is, doesn't proceed from anyone, doesn't, is not begotten from anyone. And so as the unbegotten one, he receives a certain honor in the Trinity. And so that commandment, when God made his image in us, splayed out in space and time, it was memorialized in this commandment to honor the Father, to give, to give honor to our parents. Now, we're not like God, okay, in that the persons of the Trinity don't change. They don't grow like we do. The, the, the eternal Son of God was never less than God. He didn't need this commandment to grow. He doesn't need to honor the Father in order to, to change and become better. Same with the Holy Spirit. So there are certain, there, we're different. And, and yet, the honoring part is the thing that gets translated to us. The, um, we're imitating something in our earthly families that has an archetype in God. That is why this so pleases the Lord. That's why. So I hope this is inspiring to you, that you're not, that if, if you say, I'm going to try to fulfill this commandment, you're not doing something arbitrary. It's like, well, it's just, you know, it's one of these rules that we're supposed to live by. You're actually imitating something that finds its template in God, in the very the very unbegottenness of the Father and the honor that is due him. Now, there's something more here, and that is in regard to the Son. The author of the book of Hebrews makes two comparisons in Hebrews 12 between our earthly families and the divine kind of Trinitarian family. He says, first of all, you know, if you're being disciplined by God the Father, your heavenly Father, if you're being disciplined at that point, you should be encouraged. Think about how we had earthly fathers and we respected them, right? We, when, when we had discipline from our earthly fathers, we submitted to them, we respected them. So you see, he's drawing a comparison between our earthly fathers, our response to our earthly fathers and the response to the heavenly Father. And then he says, and when it gets really difficult, if you're having a hard time obeying your father, honoring your parents, if, you're ha- if it gets really difficult, consider the Son of God. Because he obeyed to the point of shedding his blood. Have you done that? Says the author of Hebrews. This is Hebrews 12. See, what he's saying is that the Son of God did what he did out of honor for his Father in heaven. So if you think about it, what was Jesus Christ thinking about on the cross? Who was he thinking about? Well, you say he was thinking about us, right? He was thinking about what he was doing. The reason he was doing it was so that our sins could be forgiven. And certainly, you know, at the beginning he was... When he cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, he was thinking about us. He was obeying 
because of what it would do for us. But as things went on and it got really hard, he was thinking about the Father. When he said, why have you forsaken me from the cross? He was continuing to obey. He was thinking about his relationship with the Father. And that is why, friends, we're saved. Because even when he couldn't understand for the pain, he obeyed and honored his Father. And the true revelation of God ripped through creation at that point. And that's why we're saved. Even from our failures on this commandment. If you've been sitting there listening to this sermon and thinking, oh man, I have really failed in honoring my father and mother. If you feel like you've, you've, you've missed it on this, it's okay. He obeyed for you. He honored his father for you so that your days could be still long in the land. He has lengthened our days by what he's done. When we are saved because the Son heeded the Father, no matter what. And that is why we honor our parents. And when we do, we are standing on holy ground. Let us... Celebrate that obedience now by coming to the table. Will you stand with me?